is going to be very different from many of them that you have heard uh, because rather than pointing out the problems, I'm going to try to talk about what one person has done um, and try to give you a glimpse of perhaps something that you might want to try to do. And there's two facets to what I'll be dealing with. One is conservation on the one hand, and the other is production on the other hand. On the one hand, conservation. On the other hand, production. So there's a number of areas for us to consider. Over the flat past three days, we've heard many challenges regarding sustainable living, stewardship, and global climate change. I present this paper as my personal testimony, my effort to do right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly in God's world today. During the last 36 years, I've started environmental science majors at both Eastern College, now Eastern University, and Messiah College. I've sought to open the eyes of my students to the glories of God's creation. We have examined the details of creation's structure and function and probed its mysteries. A central focus of my teaching through this time has been the biblical call to stewardship. That isn't just how you use your time, talent, and money within the local church as the local church generally presents the concept of stewardship. The biblical call of stewardship is how I use my life to serve my Lord in God's creation, including the broad sweep of the non-human creation, the non-living creation, and my neighbor who lives next to me. Maintaining the fruitfulness of God's creation is central to our mission. It's our witness to future generations. We've heard that while we've been here. And God said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And God saw that all that he had made was very good. He said to the creatures, be fruitful before humans were created. The blessing of fruitfulness is to live out your God-given potential, to be everything that God has created you to be. And that blessing was given to God's creatures. And we're here as God's vice regents, as God's stewards, to allow creation to carry out that mandate that God breathed into it at the creation. That's our responsibility as stewards, among other areas. Also, since the creation of the God's world, its invisible qualities, its his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what he has made so that men are without excuse. God's creation is God's testimony to call us to him. And yet, we are stilling that message as we are polluting the atmosphere as we are killing the creatures. God's message of redemption and his call to us is being muted. You ask the average young person on Long Island how many stars there are in the heavens. 
and the average answer will be less than 30 because that's all they can see. Yet the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmaments proclaim his handiwork and yet people can't even see that today. The task of the steward is to prevent problems from arising. But if problems do arise, we must deal with them. In other words, applying the precautionary principle is central to what we are doing. If there is significant evidence of potential problem, the evidence to the, that that is significant reason for us to be very hesitant to move ahead. Today, creation is under attack from many fronts. It is indeed groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, as we read in Romans. The focus on my, of my talk, again, as I said, is my personal testimony to impact my impact, my footprint on God's creation. We've talked a lot about fossil fuels, both a blessing and a curse. Our lives have been blessed by the presence of fossil fuels in many ways. It is one of God's provisions of this world that provides us with many of the necessities that we use on a daily basis. We could make a very long list of the beneficial uses of fossil fuels. You're wearing them today. They're involved in the production of the medicine that you take. I mean, we could just, we could spend the rest of my time just talking about how we use fossil fuels in a beneficial way. But there is a dark side that we are discovering and we have been talking about. The excessive and rapid consumption of this valuable resource, primarily as fuels, threatens the very fabric of creation. It is also robbing future generations, my children, my grandchildren, and children beyond that, from perhaps the most valuable resource that the Lord has provided for us to use within his creation. In addition to global climate change, which we have heard much about, mercury poisoning from coal combustion is a catastrophic problem today. If you are a fisherman and you go to the fishing regs of just about every state in the country and you read the health warnings at the end of the fishing regs, they will tell you if you're a pregnant woman, do not eat fish caught in the state. Or at most, not to eat more than one or two fish meals a month. We're poisoning our children. Acid deposition from petroleum and coil combustion is costing us billions of dollars a year in structural damage. We have significantly increased levels of cancer associated with the petrochemical industry. Many of you in this room are as old or younger, well, let's say we're middle-aged folks at this point. I can re think back when I was a child, between the first grade in high school, I did not know a single person in my town who had cancer. I did not know a single person in my town or in my school who had asthma. 
and yet 25% of my students today either personally have asthma or somebody in their family does. We have adequate reason to get off the fossil fuel burning bandwagon besides global warming. But global warming is an impending global human health crisis as described by the Center of Disease Control and the National Institutes of Health. Perhaps the largest crisis that humanity has ever faced. We have expanding range of tropical diseases today. Malaria being contracted in the United States. Rising death tolls because of heat waves. 20,000 in Europe died within just a couple weeks, just a few, two or three years ago. Sea level rising at a rate of in excess of three millimeters per year now, and the rate is increasing significantly. The most recent fourth report of the ICCP grossly underestimated the nature of the problem. Recent reports have indicated that we're facing what is much, we're facing much more serious problems than they even projected uh, six months ago. Increased severity of storms. We are incidentally looking with a two meter th sea level rise, which very well may take place by the end of this century, given current, current projections. That would result in in excess of one out of five people being environmental refugees in the face of the earth. We would lose virtually every seaport in the United States. Our, our national security and the global security would be very seriously threatened. We have increasing severity of storms. The more energy there is in the atmosphere, the warmer the atmosphere, the more energy, the stronger the storms are. Global agricultural disruption that we've been talking about, that can be linked to an impending global health crisis if we simply are starving to death at a higher rate than we are today. The projected loss of 25 to 50 percent of all global species. Ecosystem collapse, coral reefs are going as we speak. And the entire structure of the food chain of the North Atlantic has been turned on its head in the last 10 years. And the list goes on. So we have, as we have seen, we are facing some quite serious problems. And my wife and I, when I retired and we moved back to our home, having completed our 40 years in the Pennsylvania wilderness, and we did return to the promised land, uh, we're now living on Woodby Island, north of Seattle. We set our personal agenda at reducing our footprint. What could we do? There is no longer an, an away, and there is always somebody downstream. I am my brother's keeper, and my sister's, and my neighbor's, both human and non-human. This paper is a description of what we have been able to do. In 2007, I retired from Messiah College and we moved back to our roots and our family on the West Coast. We now live adjacent to Osobel Institute of Environmental Studies on Whidbey Island, the Pacific Northwest campus, where I teach during the summer. Just finished my course on the field biology of the Pacific Northwest. In February this year, we moved into our new home. This was our first new home. 
the first home that I have ever had where I had anything to do with its building. June 30th, I received this certificate. We are the first five-star built green home in the region. Our architect, Ted Clifton, was honored by the regional architects by having built the first zero energy home in the two-county area that, we, that the green builders were involved with with this award. And we have had our house nominated for the 2009 Energy Value Housing Award, which is sponsored by the National Association of Home Builders, the U.S. Department of, Department of Energy, and the National Renewable Energy Labs. Where are we? This is an illustration of the northwest area of Washington. This is Seattle, Vancouver Island, the Olympic Peninsula, okay, the Strait of Juan de Fuca, and here's Woodby Island, the second longest island in the continental United States, 37 miles long with approximately 70,000 people living on the island. A uh, fairly major naval base is there. Uh, and we live right in this area near the little town of Coopville. Woodby Island has had a traumatic past. About 12,000 years ago, the continental ice sheet moved north of Canada. And if you look at Woodby Island, you can see what the impact was of having 5,000 feet of ice moving over the surface of your landscape. It kind of caused serious erosion, and you can see the paths where giant blocks of rock were drug across the landscape and literally scraped the creation bare. Coopville is the town seat. It has its one square mile, has 1,800 people. And this is Osable Institute right here, located in the town of Coopville. And this is where our house is, right there where that little small dot is. This is a Navy landing field where they practice carrier landings, which incidentally causes serious issues if you want to put up wind turbines in the area because they uh, have a, ma a maximum elevation of any structure that can go in, which is approximately the height of the highest trees in the area. Whoops, this way. This is Asable Institute, its buildings here, and this is our property right there that was cleared. This is a Google Earth photo from last summer, and this is our five acres. The landscape that's been cleared, approximately one-third of an acre was cleared. This is a glacial kettle hole here that is approximately 80 feet deep, and this is where Asable's property line and our property line are. I have been involved in the project. This is the area that we chose to build the house. This is the slope, a 30-degree slope going down into the glacial kettle hole right here. We chose the house building site because it involved taking down the smallest number of trees that, because I did not want to uh, uh, remove the beautiful forest that we had there. Um, have one big leaf maple that's 16 and a half feet in circumference, and I'm going to need to speed up here. Uh, 
This is the house, the garage. The house was designed uh, so that it faces to the southeast on an angle so it picks up maximum solar gain at, nine at 10 o'clock in the morning on January the 1st because it's a passive solar home. The garage is, is facing solar south, so it is optimal for photovoltaics. This is the field for our geothermal system. We heat with geothermal energy. It's a ground source heat pump. There were eight, rather, there are six 60-foot long, five-foot wide trenches. We have approximately 2,000 feet of linear coil, five feet underground. This is an area of conservation, not of production. The primary contractors, Clifton View Homes, our architect, contractor, and builder was Ted Clifton, one of the better recognized green architects in the country. Whidbey Sun and Wind, which is located in Coopville, provided our photovoltaic system, and barren heating and air conditioning put in the geothermal system. Key features of the house, it is passive solar. We have a ground source heat pump with in-floor radiant heating. It uses structurally integrated panels for its construction. We have a 3KW photovoltaic system on the production side. We used green building practices throughout the construction and the property has been certified by the National Wildlife Federation as certified wildlife habitat. We cleared 0.3 acres of the five acres. We occupied the house the 15th of February. The photovoltaic system was put in May 30th of this year. We have 1,927 feet of conditioned space, which includes some attic space. The actual house area is approximately 1,850 two bedrooms, two baths, and a loft study. The garage has a small guest quarters over it for people who would like to come and visit. You're invited. Uh, this was the process of clearing. It's from the same place I took the previous photograph. The clearing <coughs> proceeded. This was July 7th of 2007. The foundation went in on the 13th, was poured on the 25th. These are the coils in our flooring, under the floor. This is on top of four inches of foam. This is our heating system for the in-floor radiant heating with the geothermal source. The flooring is finished concrete that's been stained. Our walls arrived on a flatbed truck. Those are SIPS panel walls. On the 12th of September, well, on the 4th of September, the walls started to go up. They were completed largely on the 12th, the 20th. The roof panels were lifted in place with the crane on the 25th of September. The geothermal trenches were dug on the 10th of October. Windows went in on the 27th of November. Our electrical panel, this is the main panel for the house. 
This is a backup panel should we choose to put in a backup system for our photovoltaics. I chose not to do that. It was not, it was not economically uh, my best choice, and I'll explain why in a minute. Rather than putting in a battery backup system, I did put in and wire the house from the start to plug in an electric generator on the outside uh, so that if we lose power for a few days, uh, we will be able to generate our own power. The battery backup system would only last two or three days. We had power outage there for five days continuous two years ago. A house like this in five years there two years ago when the temperature was 20 degrees dropped inside the house with no heating in five days from 72 degrees to 64 degrees. Okay. This is our house and the positioning of the garage. The garage is 24 feet by 30 feet. And the garage also SIPs panel construction. We moved in the 15th of February. On May 15th, our solar panels were installed. This is the inverter in the garage. This is the production meter. And there's some significant differences between Washington and Kansas. This is the production meter that measures the amount that I produce. This is my net meter. Because if I am producing more than I'm using, I export to the grid and I'm paid for my electricity that I am producing. Okay? So this is basically what the house looks like at this point. This is the area where my vegetable garden is going in. The posts here are for my deer fence, so I can grow a vegetable garden. Uh, this is a little bump out on the side where my geothermal uh, heat exchanger, my heat pump is. It is a tradition, it's a heat pump. So it takes 55 degree water out of the ground in a closed loop and puts water back into the ground that is close to freezing, concentrates the heat and delivers heat of approximately up, up to about 125 to 126 into the house. Uh, where it preheats my domestic hot water so I don't have any cost other than heating my house. The, the heat of the house heat preheats my domestic hot water also. Uh, and if I'm not using my heat pump, which would be for the three or four months during the summer there, then I use, have to use an electric heater for my traditional hot water heater. I will be putting on solar hot water just as soon as I can afford to do that. That's one of my next phases to include. This is, with, without explaining it, this is the guts. This is my DWP, the Department of Water and Power. Uh, these, are the, these are the tubes going into and out of the floor, and these are the uh, tanks that I store the water. Uh, I have two closed loops. There's a closed loop in the ground. There's a closed loop in the floor two heat exchangers so that if, I, if my heat being delivered to this tank is sufficient, the electricity never comes on. Uh, this is an open loop going into my domestic hot water. Okay. Uh, Washington is exempt. Uh, this system, the photovoltaics, I was exempt from Washington sales tax. I receive a $2,000 federal tax credit 
Washington pays me a production incentive of 15 cents a kilowatt hour for every, every kilowatt I export to the grid. In addition to that, for my net metering, I'm credited for the amount that I produce that I'm using, and that's deducted from my power bill so that my last power bill was $20.50. And that doesn't include my, pro my production credits that I will get. There's also green tags for an, an additional two cents a kilowatt hour. I have 15 Sanyo 200 kilowatt, 200 watt uh, cells on the roof, one 300 watt Sunny Boy interactive batteryless inverter, expected production, 3285 kilowatts of energy per year at a rate of functionally 25 cents a kilowatt hour. Um, annual expected value, about $821. I will not be paying any utilities for electricity for heating. Uh, and I, the expectation is that I will offset about 4.5 tons of CO2 per year, plus sulfur and uh, nitrogen. Okay? This is a flow pattern of the system in terms of the photovoltaics. I won't go through that. Uh, our first full month before my photovoltaics were put in, I paid $76 for all my electricity. That included my heating, my lighting, and my appliances. My last bill was for $20.50 without the production credits. Um, and since June 1st, I have produced approximately 700 kilowatts of electricity with a value of about $175. Uh, cost per square foot for the construction of the house, $169. Conditioned square footage, 1927. We have R20 closed foam sub-slab insulation underneath my, under, underneath my floor uh, to insulate my geothermal heating. Using SIPS wall construction, R25 in the walls. Ceiling, R, R32 in the walls ceiling insulation over the bedrooms and the kitchen where I didn't use SIPS panel. I have 12-inch FSK face bats with an R38 value. Siding is 8 inches of hardy plank. That's a concrete, very green product. Window value U29 to 30. You can go better than that, but in our climate, you do not need it. This is, this is recommended for our particular climate because in the winter it seldom gets below 25 degrees and during the summer it seldom gets above 80. Uh, we're on the same planting schedule agriculturally at almost at, at, thir at 38 degrees north, which is farther north than the extreme tip of northern Maine. We're on the same planting schedule as northern Florida. Okay, heating. Uh, these are some of the efficiencies for the heat pump, for water heating. We have two HEPA filter systems for air exchange in the house, which when turned on will give us full air exchange every 37 minutes. I simply turn them on, cool the house off in the evening if it's been a warm day because it gets into the 50s every night. The solar panels, we have a HERS index of 50 without the photovoltaics and 32 with that. The HERS index is the home energy rating system based on the 2006 International Energy Conservation Code, which means that our house is 
rated at 68% less than the standard for HERS. Our air infiltration rate uh, with the blower test is a, at 3.26 air, exchange, air exchanges per hour. And for the SEBA Green Building Score, where they rate your score, to have a five-star home, it takes 350 points. Ours scored 409. So uh, we are very pleased with what we've been able to do. Uh, I have information if you want to come and see it in more detail. Uh, see me after the talk. Uh, thanks to my wife, my daughter, and to Ted Clifton, my architect and new friend. He's the architect, contractor, and builder. He ran the chainsaw to cut the trees down, and he drew the plans of the house. Whole house is wheelchair accessible. We plan to live there the rest of our lives. Thank you very much. Thank you, Joe. In order to have those you want to move on, bring your questions to Joe and stay around for a little bit. Yeah, I'll stick around if you have any questions. What do you park in your garage? I have a Honda Civic that is uh, 230,000 miles on it. It's a 16-year-old car, and I'm still getting over 40 miles per gallon. It is not a hybrid. I've, I've had as high as 54 miles per gallon with my Honda Civic that's 16 years old. Oh, that is wonderful. Hey, send me a copy of the presentation, would you please? I would be happy to. The, um, um, why did you go? Now, that's a local. Oh, 